0: Well hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me. This is Ross Jones, your business coach with my weekly podcast show, Bold Business Bits, coming to you from Yorkshire. This is where I have a great conversation with a phenomenal female business boss. We share some of the bold stuff they do, lessons they've learned, adversities they've overcome, and the fun they have. And then I'll be dipping into my toolkit and sharing a top tip. Business can be lonely, so make sure you join us each week and be part of our show. Well, hello and welcome to episode 25 of Bold Business Bits podcast show. This is Ros Jones and today I'm joined by Susie Hart, MBE, founder and director of Artisan International, a charity she set up on returning to Harrogate in Yorkshire after 10 years living and working in Tanzania. While in Tanzania, she set up a social enterprise that provides craft training and employment for people with disabilities who would otherwise have been street begging to earn a living. And since then, she's extended this model into Uganda, Ecuador and Peru and has her sights on many other countries in the world. Susie is a phenomenal female business boss. She's a purely inspirational woman who is full of love and abundance. And I want you to listen to her story and enjoy our show. Welcome, Susie. Thank you very much. So, Susie, I know that you've done some amazing things and and you've been decorated as well. Um, yes, I've been Woman of the Year in the past
1: and uh, I've astonishingly got an MBE as well.
0: Fabulous, and it's very well deserved. Susie's business is Artisan International, which is a registered charity. Can you tell us a bit about the charity, the work you do, and how it all came about, please, Susie? Yeah, sure.
1: So, we enable, empower, and support people with disabilities in the UK and in the developing world. So, in the UK, we run weekly craft workshops for people with disabilities in the community. And we also go into hospitals and work with long term hospital inpatients. And overseas, we set up social enterprises to give training and employment to people with disabilities who would otherwise be living in in really abject poverty, who would usually be either street begging to support themselves or hidden away at home behind closed doors. So we started in 2012 when I returned after 10 years of living and working in Tanzania, where I set up a social enterprise to give training and employment to people with disabilities there. And that was called... Why did you do that? What took you to Tanzania? It's a really long story, okay. <laughs> but essentially <laughs> okay. In a nutshell, my training is in, is in textiles, textile arts I've always been a person, an artist and a designer I became a Christian in my late teens and after that I just wanted to use my skills in a way that was going to make a positive impact in the world and benefit people in some way rather than be for myself and so as part of my degree I was lucky enough to go to Uganda to study sculpture and textiles and while I was there I, I realised that people with disabilities are absolutely the poorest of the poor in the developing world. There's such a huge stigma attached to having a disability and so they end up either begging on street corners or as I say hidden away at home. And so I went and volunteered with a large community in Kampala. That's a community of people with learning disabilities and there I, I went thinking I was going to be an extra pair of hands in their existing craft workshop and when I got there they showed me to a bare child room that had caught fire when they had some chickens in it previously <laughs> and they said this is where we would like to start the Therapeutic Crafts Workshop." And I thought, well, this is madness because I'm only an art student. I'm only here for you know three or four months on my vacation. But I spent my mornings going around Kampala markets, finding things we could make into equipment, and my afternoons teaching candle making and paper making, my night times making learning materials, talking to potential clients. So by the time I left four months later, it was all up and running, and it's still going 20 years later with the staff that I trained.
0: Ah, oh, it's fabulous.
1: So that was my first window into firstly understanding the huge need amongst people with disabilities for training and genuine employment and also to see how i could use my will be quite random seeming skills as a textile artist and craftsperson to to teach people skills with which they can support themselves and their families. So from that experience in Uganda, I then went on to do similar work in Tanzania. And I started with three young deaf men in one room of a rented warehouse on a start-up budget of £400. Wow. And a sack of elephant dung, teaching (laughs) them how to make paper from elephant dung because there was a market for
0: elephant-related products. How did you know how to make paper out of elephant dung?
1: I I confess I didn't know initially. I knew how to... As part of my textiles course, I'd learned how to make handmade paper in general. And when I was in Uganda, I taught people how to use water hyacinth, which was a locally available problem plant. And so there was a sort of beautiful imagery between, but yeah. you know, taking something which people considered to be a problem and something which was considered to have no potential, and creating something beautiful and valuable. Happiness. And so there was a similar metaphor going on, really, with the elephant dung, and and also most importantly, there was a market for elephant-related products because there were a lot of people travelling through Oringa, the town where I lived, on their way to visit the forty thousand elephants down the road at the national park at Ruaha. So there was a lot of elephant dung to be collected, which <laughs> nobody else was using. <laughs> uh, it was an environmentally friendly resource, and there was a market for the products. And that's the most important thing. Because as I say, I set up my first project there with £400. And I didn't have any money at all to pay the wages of the men I would be training and later women. And it was essential, therefore, that we made things there was a market for. And so when I arrived in Tanzania, I had a 10-month-old baby, Grace, our wow. eldest. And that was brilliant because I wasn't expected to start work the first year I was there. I was expected to be looking after the baby and setting up home. Well, I was doing that, but also I was looking at what raw materials are locally available, making prototype products for those materials, finding out what markets there might be. Yeah. And so a year in, when I got started, I'd spent many months up to my elbows in vats of elephant dung, quite literally, <laughs> working Working out how to make it into paper, applying the principles that I knew from other types of fibres. And as I say, making prototypes, finding markets. So when I began, I'd already got an advance order for another £400 worth of products. And so that was enough to pay the first three trainees for the first six months. And that's literally all we had when I got started. But as we began to, to make these beautiful products people got more and more interested we sold more and more things so it grew from there and after I so say I was in Tanzania 10 years uh, I started a year in so after nine years I was employing 120 people with a huge range of disabilities that's
0: amazing so you made a massive impact to their local economy well international economy
1: yeah I guess so because we do sell in the UK in the US and other parts of the world as well yeah that's right and having started with paper making we added jewellery textiles woodwork we also have a cafe entirely staffed by deaf people in Tanzania as well wonderful thank you Uh, and you recently yeah so I came back to the UK seven years ago Largely because I've got two daughters now and my youngest has Down syndrome. And so we we really needed to come back to the UK because we couldn't get speech therapy for her in Tanzania. And it was a good thing, though, to hand that over. It's it's never a good thing for founders to run things forever. Mm -hmm, Um, So I handed over to the Tanzanian staff team I trained and an English couple who came out as well to work alongside them. And that's continuing to grow and do really well. So that then freed me up to start Artisan International to I say run weekly craft workshops here, but also really fundamentally to pass on that model that we showed worked in Tanzania to other developing countries, because we know that all over the developing world, people with disabilities are absolutely at the bottom of the pile. And very few organisations... are are interested in working with them or prepared to have a go at doing so I think there's a sense that disability is a bit taboo it's a bit niche it's maybe a sort of side issue and actually according to World Health Organization figures 10 to 15 percent of the entire population in the developing world have a disability so we are talking tens of millions of people desperate for training and employment so those are the people that we feel called to work with.
0: It's amazing. It's just a fabulous story. So I know recently you went off to Ecuador and Peru. Is this where you're setting up new places? Yes, that's ah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So when I started Artisan International, so we began with the UK workshops. And then once those were, were up and running, I started to investigate which country we would go and work in next. And I really thought it would be India, actually, because there's a, a huge amount of need there. And it's one of my dreams, eventually, yeah. to, for us to be working in India, because there's A, so much need but B, so much potential in terms of the raw materials but actually I was sort of testing doors in India and none of those were opening and before anything came together for that I was approached by some people who'd been working in Peru and knew of a group of people with disabilities who were coming together to do social activities but what they really needed was a social enterprise and so they asked if I would go to Peru because they'd heard about my work in Tanzania to see if if that was a suitable place for us to work so I I went to the beautiful city of Arequipa in the south of Peru Peru, where we work, and discovered, again, huge numbers of people with disabilities begging on the streets in desperate need of training and employment and and no practical projects available to help them. So we've been working in Peru for four years now. We've got one completed project and two brand new projects there so that original group that we started working with it was a, a social group to start with being run by a little Baptist church there and they were just coming together to do karaoke and colouring in
0: Oh, lovely
1: <laughs> <Literally>, <laughs> which was okay but not very productive and so over the last four years we have trained the, the leaders of that group and the group themselves in jewellery making in cards and textiles so we've given them lots of skills we've given them lots of equipment we've, we've given lots of training to the leaders we've trained them in things like safeguarding and, and all sorts of you know, the whole gamut of things that they need to know to run a really good project and they are now confidently running that themselves we've been able to step away completely at the beginning of this year and so that is mostly for people with learning disabilities so it's twice a week and it's really more of providing therapeutic activities rather than providing employment So it's great that that's up and running and it's meeting a real need. But as you know, our our heart really is to give employment to people with disabilities. And so we've started two new projects at the beginning of this year. And one of those is working with a home for men with learning disabilities. And we've got a papermaking workshop being set up for them so they can start to earn an income to support themselves as a group. And the other is we've opened a brand new office right in the heart of Arequipa, where we're training people with physical disabilities who live in the community in very high quality jewellery and Textiles. We'll be adding more crafts to that as we go so that they can work from home, come to the office every week, get new materials, get paid for what they've done and start earning a really good income to support themselves and their families
0: and where do they sell their do they sell them locally or is it well
1: currently with that new group everything that they're making is being sold in the UK ah. but that's very much a, a temporary thing in that at the, at the beginning of a new project because we haven't found local outlets yet we expect to sell quite you know a large proportion of what's been produced here in the UK but over time that will reduce and reduce and reduce here and will increase over there yeah. so we are looking for premises in Peru to purchase which will become the training center a shop and a So that we'll have our own outlet there. We've done a little bit of selling through other local outlets, but of course, those shopkeepers want to take more than 50% yeah. of the retail price, which just means that our participants are getting a lot less than what they could do for the work they're producing. Now, obviously, we make sure that everyone's being paid a really serious wage for the hours that they put into every single piece, but we could make sure they were getting a lot more if we were selling direct to the public rather than through other outlets. So that's what we're working on at the moment, finding a property in Arrow yeah. where we can set up our own shop and cafe, similar to what we've done in Tanzania. Yeah, fantastic.
0: So I love what you're doing because you're, you're effectively setting up a business that runs without you. That's the long term goal, yeah. And absolutely. that's what I teach my business owners how to do. So you're just doing it. Just, it's fabulous. I love it.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: And Ecuador, what's happening there? Yeah, so in Ecuador, we
1: have, as in as in Peru as well, basically what we do is we train up design graduates and we send them out to work in the developing countries with local people. So we've got Laura in Peru and in Ecuador, we've got Jess and Andy. Okay,
0: are they, so they're from the UK?
1: They are, they're from the UK. So that's that's just, you know, until we've trained yeah. up local leaders to run those projects. Yeah. So long term, they will be able to step away. But at the beginning, that's how we yeah. do it. Yeah. I basically try to pass on everything that I learned over those 10 years in Tanzania, which was a very steep learning curve. Yeah because ultimately i wasn't trained in business i was trained in textiles mm-hmm. and i had to learn everything about running a business that employs 100 plus people you know on the job yeah. so i've tried to distill all that down into training which i can then give to our volunteers yeah. and then we send them out to pass that on to the yeah. local people they're working with
0: so it's like a franchise I suppose it, it is in a way. So you're developing the systems mm-hmm. and then getting people training the people, hiring the people to mm-hmm. run those systems. Yeah, that's it's a right. franchise. Yeah,
1: that's that's very true. Although I guess the the, the obviously the slight difference is that we provide as many years' support to each of those franchises as they need until yeah. they're able to be totally self-sustainable. Yeah. So that one in Tanzania now, completely self-sustainable, but that took 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> it might but take it will speed long. up. It will speed up, absolutely. Yeah. It's only taken us four years, I guess, for that first project in, in yeah. uh, Peru to be to um, become self-reliant. But yeah, so in Ecuador, we have Jess and Andy from Harrogate working in a village on the outskirts of the city of Santo Domingo. And basically they've established a papermaking training centre there and also jewellery. So they train, it's again, people with physical disabilities um, and mild learning disabilities in papermaking. And then we set them up with everything they need to have their own papermaking workshops at home and jewellery and as, and jewelry as yeah. well so after four to six months training we equip them with everything they need and then we guarantee to purchase a certain quantity of their okay. work every yeah. fortnight mm-hmm. so as part of their training they get business training they get a bank account uh, set up for them, we help them to register as self employed with the local government so at the end of the course they're completely free just to go off completely on their own and run their own paper making businesses yeah. so it's very emancipating but there's also that safety net there that if they want to sell through us they can Come every fortnight with the work that they've produced, and we'll buy their work from them. So they've got a guaranteed income stream as well. Yeah. So uh, we've trained three groups of trainees so far. So it's about fifteen people trained thus far. It's about five per group, and we have a new group starting in. January we've got about seven outlets in Quito the capital of Ecuador already we also sell in the Galapagos Islands we sell in Mindo the butterfly capital of Ecuador so considering we only started that in January last year that's going phenomenally well yeah Yeah.
0: so it is speeding up yeah definitely so you're paying them from the UK Mm -hmm. so tell me about the centre that you have here in Harrogate yeah and so how does it work Mm mm-hmm yeah, how does it? What's how does the the model work from here? Because this is your international headquarters, here
1: it is. This is true. So we have incredibly, despite the fact that we work in three countries on two continents in two different hemispheres, we have a paid staff of two, right? And everybody else is a volunteer. So that helps yes. <laughs> in that we are. We try and keep our running costs to an absolute minimum. We're very fortunate to have been given space in a, a local health and well-being hub. Our running costs are relatively low, but we we work really, really hard to make sure that we never make a single object that people won't love and that Mm -hmm. isn't really high quality. We never want to produce things in our uh, overseas projects that we expect people to buy because they feel sorry for the person that's made it. So, as I was saying before, my training is in textiles and design. That goes the same for our volunteers as well. Nothing we do is well-meaning but a bit rubbish. That's not Mm -hmm. what we're aiming for. We're aiming to produce things which are high quality, beautifully designed, on trend, highly desirable. So, that hopefully makes things a lot easier at this end. So, when we've got, you know, thousands of cards arriving from Ecuador and Peru, for example, you know, they pretty much sell themselves when we get them in front of the public because they are so beautiful, they're really unique and they're really high quality Yeah, fantastic.
0: So presumably you're looking for outlets to sell these? Yeah, very much so. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It would be great to have more and more outlets selling the crafts because ultimately that means we can provide employment for many more people who are desperately in need of it.
0: Yeah. And here in Harrogate, the centre is used as well, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, we have four weekly craft workshops a week that we run in Yorkshire, two here at the centre in Harrogate, one in Leeds and then another one in the hospital in Harrogate. And also another one in Ripple as well. Gosh, okay. so many I'm care. Yeah, so. Five. <laughs> Five a week. So we have people with disabilities in the community who come once a week on a Tuesday afternoon and do a range of really beautiful crafts. And we have a group of children as well after school also on a Tuesday. And it's an opportunity for differently able people to get out of the house or out of their care homes, meet other people, learn new skills and in, in a creative and caring atmosphere. And also they can go and they can meet the public, they can demonstrate their skills. So we do a number of, of big craft shows and smaller events as well throughout the year and we encourage our differently able participants to come along and be on the stalls meet the public demonstrate their skills so it's providing them with an opportunity to shine yeah. and also to just educate the public really about the skills and abilities of people that they have perceived to be disabled Yeah, and I think that's really fundamentally important because Although people with disabilities in this country aren't begging on street corners in the same way that they are in a country like Ecuador or Peru, for example, they're nonetheless incredibly socially isolated Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And a lot of that is due to stigma. So, for example, I was giving a talk about our work recently and a lady came to speak to me afterwards and she said, my daughter in her 20s has cerebral palsy. And if we go into a pub, we can clear half that pub in 10 minutes. Wow. Now you imagine that's your daughter, wow, or you are shocking. the person who you know is experiencing that i I have as I mentioned a daughter with Down syndrome, and we have experiences like that much more often than we should do and it's it's really shocking, and I think it's it's largely down to ignorance and awkwardness Mm -hmm. on behalf of the public they're not quite sure how to respond to a differently able person and we just really want to break those barriers down and and remove that stigma really not least because not only will we make things better for differently able people but actually the whole of society benefits
0: if everybody's welcome
1: everybody's valued and everybody's included
0: yeah and they've got some serious skills to teach other people as well haven't they yeah absolutely yeah, that's phenomenal. And are you going to expand these centres? Yeah, absolutely. We have a
1: long list of countries that have made contact who've requested social enterprises. So that includes Jordan, Palestine, Egypt, Kenya, Bangladesh, Sierra Leone and others. Fantastic. So the reason that we're in Ecuador is because of that long list. Obviously, that was next door to Peru so logistically it made yes. the most sense we're considering where the next one will be Kenya would make a lot of sense because I already speak fluent Swahili after for all I use in Tanzania yes. and it's been a major challenge for me to learn Spanish <laughs> so because my head is still full of Swahili so it would be quite handy language wise to do Kenya next and presumably um,
0: they have elephants there as well they do there's <laughs> elephants done to be used and
1: that. there's plenty of market for, for product locally but we'll have to see I really would like to, us to get the new projects in Peru very well established yeah. and Ecuador a further established before we look at starting anywhere else one of the disadvantages to working with a small team on a very small budget is that you know it sadly it does limit our capability of how fast and how far we can work with the resources that we have so you know we'd love to get more people involved more more people supporting the work that we do because that will enable us to support train employ many more people with disabilities yeah. in other parts of the world
0: fabulous and how do people get in touch to you if they're interested in helping susie
1: Well, there are lots of different ways people can get involved. If you're local to Yorkshire, you could volunteer. We'd love to have some extra pairs of hands, whether you're crafty or not. There's jobs in the office. There's all sorts of other jobs as well as hands-on crafts. If you have training or expertise in screen printing, particularly, or other types of design, we are looking for a volunteer to go out for a period of months and work with our volunteer Laura in Peru. So there's a very exciting opportunity for somebody there to help set up our new screen printing workshop. And if you'd like to get involved just by supporting the work that we do with donations either as a one-off or regularly that would be so helpful and people can find out how to do that through the website which is is artisaninternational.org so that's artisan with a Z -Z A-R-T-I-Z-A-N international.org and you can find out there um, how you can support us and get involved we're a small charity doing amazing things Absolutely. thanks to the people we work Massive. with on a huge scale yeah. and so you can be guaranteed that any donation that you make will really really be put to good use it doesn't all get spent on overheads it really does make a positive difference so get in touch get involved we'd love to have you on board
0: that's great thank you so much susie that's been fabulous to to speak with you today
1: thank you it's been lovely to speak to you well.
0: In our conversation, Susie spoke about the business system that she's been setting up in the developing world with a view to extending it in other countries. This made me think about the idea of the franchise. A franchise is a growing, popular model for a business. It's a great way of making money out of your business once you've got the systems in place. So I thought it might be a good idea to give some top tips for franchising a business. Here we go. Number one is make sure your concept has been thoroughly tested to make certain all the systems work and that the business is running smoothly and profitably. Will it stand the test of time or become another business statistic? This is best by running a pilot successfully first. And this is what Susie did in Tanzania. She spent 10 years working on that model before she decided to extend it into other countries. Secondly, make certain the business lends itself to being duplicated and that a demand exists for your product or service. Make certain, too, that your brand is recognised in the marketplace. Number three, consult your lawyer, financial advisor, both of whom, by the way, must have franchise experience, and a franchise consultant. Make sure you have all your legals in place before you franchise a business. Number four, and this is really probably the most important. Produce a set of comprehensive operational manuals, systemize your business and get it written down and test to see that they are understandable and that they work. Make sure your manuals take a step-by-step approach and don't assume your franchisees know anything. Put absolutely everything down in these manuals. Next, have an experienced franchise solicitor draw up your franchise agreements. And make sure you have enough cash in your budget to sustain the business at least through the first three years or until you begin to see profits flowing through the system. Cash is king, as we know. And then next, design your training and support system very well. Seek professional help if necessary. Get a coach. Have them in place before you begin franchising. You can't build these as you go because then your first few franchisees will think they're the guinea pigs. Understand that it is the systems they're actually buying. So if you don't have tried and tested systems in place, what are you selling? And then think carefully about how you're going to select who you will sell your franchises to. How are you going to determine who is suitable and who is not? This is really most important as the results and experiences of your first few franchises will determine the longer term success of your business. If they fail, chances are so will your business. But if they're a roaring success, your business will flourish. So think carefully about this. Are you chasing money so you can expand your business rapidly or are you looking for certain qualities in your franchisees? And if so, what are they? Remember, these people will set the ball rolling for you. This is a crucial point. And then next, design, marketing and PR systems that are above reproach. They must be as professional as possible. Give a lot of thought to how you're going to cultivate your relationships with your franchisees so they can remain as friendly as they possibly can. Much is going to depend on this, and if your system is lacking here, it's going to severely test you in the years to come. Keep your lines of communication as open as possible. Next, how are you going to ensure that your franchisees are able to remain at the forefront of the market? What provisions have you to ensure that your research and development is as good as it can be? And will this be good enough? And then make sure you have a detailed and up-to-date folder on every franchisee in your system. Keep everything documented. This is for your good sanity's sake. You see, franchising involves relationships, and these relationships are both personal and legal. And they can come unstuck every now and again. So document everything, not to trap anyone, but rather to cover yourself should you end up in court. Include sign-offs in your system so franchisees can sign that they are happy with things as they work their way through the system. For instance, on completion of initial training, get them to sign a form stating that they are satisfied with the quality of training received. Be in a good position to put forward your case if required to do so. Obviously, we don't want it to go there, but just in case that happens. Learn as much as you can about the anxieties franchisees face before they purchase a franchise, when they make the purchase and as they work as a franchisee. And then finally, Make certain your system is adaptable and able to take on board suggestions and experiences from your franchisee base. Remember, a franchise system is just like a tree, it's either growing or it's dying. It can simply can't stay the way it is ad infinitum. it needs to be flexible. The bottom line here is you need to be well prepared before taking your business down the franchisee path. If you're not, you could end up fighting lengthy costly legal battles. Nobody wants these. And besides, if your business fails, it will be precisely the opposite result of what you were hoping to achieve in the first place. So I hope that's been useful. If you have any questions about the franchise model or about anything we've been talking about today, then please do get in touch. And please check out Susie Hart MBE's a registered charity artisan international she really needs your help to help her achieve the massive fantastic goal that she has this has been your ross jones bold business bits podcast show if you'd like any further information about anything we've discussed today please just get in touch go to businesscoachingyorkshire.co.uk Please join me again next week when I'll be speaking with another phenomenal female business boss with bold business bits. And remember to subscribe to my show. Thanks for listening.